Hi, and welcome back to the show. Today, I'm joined by David Krieger. He is the president of SalesRoads. They describe themselves on their website, America's top sales outsourcing partner. They're not the traditional outsourcing firm that we normally talk to on the show. The reason primarily why I got David on the show is to really discuss his process. They specialize in lead generation and SDRs on behalf of client companies, all within the B2B space. Now, of course, that might resonate with the outsourcing audience. The outsourcing firms all want to sell more B2B products to their B2B clients. Everyone, all outsourcing firms want to grow. And of course, outsourcing firms also offer, in many instances, SDR functions or sales teams and things like that. So it's very relevant, I think, to our industry, but also our personal interests in terms of wanting to grow our own businesses. So I got a lot out of our call. David is an expert. He's been in the industry 17 years and he really walks the walk and talks the talk. He knows sales and lead generation inside out, and he's seen it evolve over the years. It's a really interesting conversation and we cover everything right from the broader concepts down into the nitty gritty tactical kind of things that you can do. So I found it super valuable and I took a lot of notes and there's things that I'm going to take away with me and improve on my processes. So hopefully you find this valuable. As always, if you're on any of these show notes, go to outsourceaccelerator.com slash podcast. Enjoy. This podcast is brought to you by Outsource Accelerator. We are the world's leading outsourcing marketplace and advisory. We help big and small businesses with their outsourcing needs, and we can help you too. We cover everything from offshore business and staffing strategy, optimal outsourcing structures, implementations, and fully managed services. If you are already outsourcing, about to start, or somewhere in between, then we can ensure that you get the best from outsourcing. That's the best prices, best terms, and of course, the best results from your offshore operations. The Outsource Accelerator Marketplace now covers over 3,000 outsourcing firms, representing a global workforce of over 5 million people. We also host this leading outsourcing podcast, publish Inside Outsourcing, and have over 15,000 pages of content on the site. Because we span the entire market, we can ensure that you get the best deal possible. Get in touch today. Visit us at outsourceaccelerator.com slash quote. Also, if you find this podcast interesting or valuable, please share it. We have now produced hundreds of episodes featuring the outsourcing world's most prominent luminaries. Please show your support by sharing this podcast today. So we're exploring different kind of guests on the show, and you came to us with an interesting kind of angle, which is sales. And you can probably uh, clarify exactly what you do, but everyone is so, so interested in sales, you know, and it really is the lifeblood of any business. And I really believe that if you can get the sales function right, then it's, you're on a road to literally billions, aren't you? It's, it's just sort of unbridled growth. 
And, you know, we as an organization, Outsource Accelerator, we deal with sales as well. We deal with top of funnel. We deal deal with lead generation. So we know it very well and very sort of painfully aware that it is painfully difficult to generate leads, to generate interest, to to fill up the top of a funnel for the sales process to begin. So you do exactly that, I understand, David. So I'm super, super excited to have you on the show and explore that and maybe some of the systems that you put to work. So welcome. Thank you. Thank you very much. Yeah, what we do is definitely an important part of our clients' growth. It's exciting to be part of it because it's helping them find new customers. And we've been doing it for over 17 years now. So we've seen a lot of different iterations of ways to generate high quality leads and appointments and excited to dive into that with you today. That's amazing. And I assume it's evolved tremendously over 17 years, hasn't it? It's like quicksand, the market, isn't it? Nothing really stays the same, either in the in terms of the channels of how you connect with people, but also like the noise in the market and also, I suppose, the new processes that, that people adapt to. So it's it's complicated. Maybe first just introduce sales roads. You've been going 17 years. What exactly do you do in your own words? Yeah, so SalesRoads is a B2B sales outsourcing, appointment setting, lead generation, and SDR outsourcing company. And so we really partner with our clients to help them discover and be introduced to their perfect prospects. And so we really work with them to understand who their ideal customer profiles are, who are the personas that they're looking to speak to that make for their best clients. And then we do the heavy lifting and the outreach to really prospect into those folks, make introductions, get them interested in our client's product or service, and then allow them to run that through their pipeline and move it to to a closed deal. Fantastic. And your big headline on your homepage says America's top sales outsourcing partner, which of course the word outsourcing caught my eye there. Explain the outsourcing bit. They're all of your teams that do it. And where does the crossover, you know, at what point do you hand the leads or the prospects over to your client then? Yeah. So our clients usually come to us when they either have tried to build an SDR team internally, an appointment setting team internally, or they realize that now is the time to proactively prospect. They have some product market fit and they need to accelerate their their growth. And so they look to us to become that outsourced SDR division for them. And we really look at it that way. We don't look at ourselves as a a separate part um, to to our client. We really uh, incorporate ourselves within their organization to develop the strategy, to understand what's working, what's not working, working with both their sales teams as well as their marketing teams. And it becomes a real collaborative effort to make these types of programs highly successful. And What we do is we build that whole strategy. So we build what we call a demand generation playbook before we even start doing any of the prospecting, which is our strategic roadmap 
to doing the prospecting and reaching out to target customers within their target markets. That includes the the call approaches, the list targeting, how we're going to handle objections, how we're going to do email cadences, all those types of things. And so we build that for our clients and make sure that they're comfortable with with the way that we're going to go out and, and prospect for them. And then we train our SDRs that on their product or service, the approaches, the scripts, the emails, and then we manage them on a day-to-day basis. And we cold call and prospect and, and reach out to those prospects, get them interested. And once that prospect is interested in our client's product or service, we will then schedule a appointment for our, our client with that prospect. And that's where the handover takes place. So we make sure that we've got a really good qualified prospect, set an appointment for them to then take the sales process from there. Got it. And do you typically qualify as a part of that process or is that sort of a separate part? No, that's a really important part of it. So we qualify really in two different stages. One, a lot of what we do, and and we touched on it at the beginning, things have changed tremendously since I started 17 years ago. But the, the list building is so important to make sure that we're targeting the right types of prospects, either by industry, by their the tech stack that they have. Maybe there's some trigger events. Maybe they hired a new type of executive on their team and they, we know that they're going to be in a buying window because whenever you hire a new executive, a lot of times those are times when they're going to bring in new teams or new software and things like that. So we do a lot of targeting just through the list building that we do. And then once we call into those lists and those prospects, then we engage with that prospect, we talk to them about things, and then we will qualify based upon different parameters that are very customized by client. You know, it can be, you know, basically a budget type of thing. It can be a fit in and whether they have the right type of uh, integrations or, or databases that, that are needed to, to work with our client. And so we will qualify based upon ver- lots of different parameters to make sure that those leads and appointments are only the types of appointments that our client wants their salespeople to have. Got it. Got it. And so in terms of our audience, let's say maybe half of them are associated with the BPO, with the outsourcing industry. And certainly if they're owners or senior management, they all want their outsourcing firm to grow. So I think this really captures their attention because everyone wants more sales. Everyone wants more leads and prospects in the top of the funnel. But also somewhat uniquely for the industry, the outsourcing industry also offers in many cases staffing for SDR functions and to some extent, they do outreach and sales functions themselves. So, you know, this would also, I assume, be interesting from that perspective of these companies are also building sales and prospecting processes for clients. And it's become quite a science now. So I'm hoping, you know, I'm certainly really, really interested in how to nail this process how, how have you seen this whole thing? You know, maybe we'll start with kind of more general questions and, and sort of background and, and more chatty, but then towards the end, maybe we can go a little bit more granular. We can go tactical and have some sort of quick fire kind of questions just to sort of run through tactics, if that's all right. But how have you seen things evolve over the last 17 years? And as a sort of cojunct question to that, is it easier or is it harder now? So it's easier and harder. <laughs> so I will start with 
what we've touched on so already, which is that the tools to be able to become and figure out whether you are even relevant to your prospect have evolved so much. Mm -hmm. You know, when I started, I don't even think LinkedIn was in existence 17 years ago. And the amount of information and data that you can both get from manual research, but also automated research to really understand both the companies as well as the people that you're reaching out to from the things that they put on their LinkedIn, the types of responsibilities they have in their LinkedIn, or if they're an active participant on LinkedIn, the things that they post, the types of information you can get from that is fantastic from both a rapport building standpoint, but also when they're posting about things for their company and their position, you can get really amazing information to figure out whether you're relevant to them and to the type of product or service that you represent. So that wasn't even any anything that we could have leveraged uh, 17 years ago. And then even just from the raw list standpoint, when I started the company, I was based in Philadelphia. And so I pulled lists from the Philadelphia Public Library website. <laughs> and we would pull leads from them. It was just company leads. We didn't even have contacts. And we would just, uh, when we would call in, we would try to find the right person, ask for the right person. And so the, the lead lists were just so far from what we have today. Today, we have, you know, at SalesRoads, we have multiple different sources where we're po- pulling contact and company and account information. We're getting cell phones, direct dials, emails. We try to find lots of people who are influencing buying decisions so that we can multi-thread and talk to different people within an organization that might be relevant to our product or service that we're representing. and we can scrape websites and we can see what kind of uh, tech stack that they have. We can feed into to tools like Ocean several different potential uh, types of companies and see what lookalike companies uh, are there so that we can better match our best customers to the types of prospects we're reaching out to. So the targeting and the list data and, and quality is, is so much better than we had 17 mm. years ago. But the downside is that all those tools are pretty accessible to everyone now and, and the market's kind of flooded. Yeah, I mean, we we right. have access to Zoom Info and Apollo and there's multiple others. And now not only do you get those sort of standalone data tools, but there's tools that are combining the outreach with those data tools. So it's kind of getting pretty, you know, it's almost press a button, get it done. And, and it doesn't do it well, but that means that the market is being flooded with outreach. Is that part of the kind of complexity of today's situation? Yeah. So let me approach that in two different ways because the downside is that you describe is real and it is more competitive today than it's ever been. People are just swamped through all the different channels, whether they're getting people reaching out to them via LinkedIn. How many emails do you get? I think you know the calls actually. I I'd make an argument. I think, and I'm, I think we're going to see an increase in calls in 2024 are are, are down comparatively to the other channels because other channels are so much cheaper. And you, like you said, people just push a button and and it goes. But still, people get so many calls, and so people feel flooded and inundated by information. And so it is much harder than it was 17 years ago to get somebody on the phone, get somebody to respond to your email than it is today because so many people are in this type of of market using these tools. But the argument I would say is that there are so many tools out there 
And the best tools are actually fairly complicated to really do well. And I think most people are not doing prospecting well. They are kind of pushing a button. They are taking a broad brush. I mean, just to give you an example, I can't tell you how many emails I get on a weekly basis of sales outsourcing or appointment setting firms sending me an email saying, do you want more appointments? And I'm like... Dude, you, you, you know, and then they even just they even say underneath it because we're really good at targeting and and finding your right prospects. I'm like, well, you know, I'm not your yeah. right prospect since I am actually <laughs> a, a competitor of yours. And so I think that people, and it's maybe not laziness. It's just it, to do targeting and to do prospecting really well. It's really tough, and so I think that people are inundated with a lot of crappy messages and a lot of crappy outreach. And so I make the argument, and and I think one of the reasons why we're so successful for our clients is that we really dig in deep and we customize the the lists and the way that we pull data, the way that we scrape information from people's websites to be able to understand whether they're a good prospect or not. And so that we are targeting people who are more relevant for our clients. While at the same time, we really work hard. Oh, I'm sorry. Go ahead, Derek. No, 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 no. And what I find the hardest thing in the world, though, is people are going about their day and then there's a phone call out of the blue and people just are not necessarily ever in the headspace of, oh, my God, someone's now talking to me and they want me to buy their thing. And I just find the hardest, maybe more so from my perspective, I'm a bit of an introvert, and if anyone calls me, I'm like, I'm sort of completely taken out of my sort of comfort zone and and what I was doing and what I was thinking about. And not that they're going to be that direct, but they're they're trying to then sell me their thing. And I just find it's almost an impossibility with cold outreach in that it's almost like trying to sell a bag of golf clubs to someone on a basketball court. You know, they could be the best golf clubs in the world, but if they're on the basketball court playing basketball, they might even love golf. But they're like, dude, wrong time, wrong place. You know what I mean? I'm playing basketball. How do you break that frame, I suppose, of the zone that people are in when you sort of suddenly reach out to them? Yeah. So a a few things. First of all, we are a big believer in permission-based openers. And we do. And secondly, and then I'll break it down both. We're also a big believer in a cold outreach, whether it's a, a call or an email, you cannot make that ask too big. You cannot sell somebody on a first cold outreach. And that is not what the goal of any of that is. And if you approach it with that, I think you're going to burn the person on the other phone, on the other side of that email, and you're going to burn yourself out too, because it's just too difficult a thing to do. And for most types of products or services, it's just not the right thing to do. There's a lot to get there to to that sale. And so you can't approach it with that mindset. So first with permission-based openers, we've all been there. You know, I'm introverted to Derek, you know, where somebody calls and they just sort of railroad you. That is just not what's going to work. And so we really try to be as respectful of the prospect whose attention we we 
probably are or might might be breaking. And we ask for a specific amount of time. We're sometimes even very specific in, in the amount of seconds that we need, or at the very least, can I have less than a minute of your time? You know, and and ask them if we can take that time just to to have a brief conversation. And more often than not, people will say yes. And the people who say no you're not going to sell them on anything anyway. Like you said, you know, they're just not in the right mind space. It's not the right place. And so we have a lot of different iterations of the way that we approach that permission-based opener, but we found that it is the best way to open that type of conversation. And more often than not, we actually get people to say, that's fine. As long as you stick to that amount of time, we're good. And then what happens is most of the time, those people actually now listen because they agreed. It's, you know, for all those who have studied Sandler selling, you know, you have an upfront contract, they agreed to a certain uh, amount of time just to, to have you guys talk. And then you can give them a, a brief little overview. And then you can ask a few probing questions to see whether you are in the right type of place. They're in the right window to actually move forward and take the conversation to the next level. So that's one. And and so it's the way that you approach the call that I think is really important to make sure that you can discover whether there is any type of of pain or issue there that you can potentially solve. And on on that first call where you are just making that initial contact, of course, the goal is not to make a sale. The goal is to get them to the next step in the sales process, isn't it? What do you typically see as the best next step. Now, it might depend, Mm -hmm. you know, it might vary depending on whatever the product or service is, but is the next best step like a consultation call with our experts or something like that? Or what do you see as the easiest stepping stone to, but also one that ensures that the person is progressing? Yeah. And I actually think that the next step is fairly ubiquitous and it's a discovery call. So it's with one of the salespeople or, or experts um, on the product or service in that industry where they can schedule a half hour to really go a little deeper, understand the company, that person, some of the issues they're having, talk about things, get a lot of good information from the prospect, which you can't, you know, it's hard to get in, in a cold call, and then start talking about some of the solutions to the, the, those pain points. So it's a 30-minute discovery where you can really ask a lot of... Uh, it, the the sal- salesperson asks the prospects a lot more questions to really understand some of the issues they may be having and start to diagnose ways that they can help them with their product or service. Got it. Got it. Yeah, it's fascinating, isn't it? And over the 17 years, you've no doubt dealt with hundreds, if not thousands of clients a lot of people, you know, from my experience of offshoring and outsourcing, a lot of people tend not to outsource the easy stuff that is already established. They tend to want to outsource the difficult stuff that they haven't been able to master. And sales is a really common thing. People say, can you get me a salesperson for my whatever solar panels? And what they're not saying is, I can't sell these bloody solar panels. Can you do it for me? Oh, and by the way, I'm only going to pay you eight bucks an hour kind of thing. Do, you know. So do you find, what is my question there, out of the hundred or thousands of clients that you've had, how many do you realize actually, you know, this thing is going to be really difficult to sell or get people interested because the product is not good enough, the whatever, the, the 
value proposition is not good enough. And then you have to actually go back and work on that before you can actually take it to market. Is that a common occurrence? Yeah. So there's two things that I think are really interesting about that. So first, for our own sales process at SalesRoads, we do do a discovery call, like I said, where we ask the prospect a lot of different questions. Part is about their value proposition, the list size, their, the success they've had or haven't had. We learn a little bit more about the, the industries that they're calling into, as well as the level of decision maker they need to call into. And we really try to determine whether this is something that could be successful. There are certain industries that are just very hard to have success in a cold outreach environment. The industry, you know, industries that, for instance, are very commoditized, like merchant services. It is very hard to have cold outreach success just because people are bombarded and it's hard to differentiate somebody in a short cold call uh, from somebody, you know, else that they had just were prospected by. And so we actually diagnose and we turn away more companies than we take on because we don't want to, A, sell a false bill of goods and say, listen, we're just going to be able to sell this and, and prospect for you and generate a lot of appointments and waste their money and their time. So we're honest in that process. And we actually do a full ROI analysis with them and a success analysis after the discovery call to really vet that out. And so we work really hard to to choose our clients. And I think that that's a really important part of it. And then there's a subset of, of companies that come to us and they're usually earlier stage and they haven't established product market fit, but they know that they haven't. And, the, and they're not sure whether this is working or whether it's resonating. And we have a motion, a sales motion, where we can reach out to prospects and we start to validate whether this is something that is is effective for them or not. It's a little bit more of a survey approach, but it's kind of on steroids where we're both validating the market for them, but also setting up some appointments so they can get some information from prospects. But that's done in a very methodical and intentional way. It's not like we're going into it and saying, we're going to try to sell it. No, all of a sudden telling you, you don't have something the mar markets resonate with. It's something that we design with them from the get-go to try to address that. Right. And how are those, how do people respond to those surveys? There's a form of selling now, and I don't quite know the word for it, but it, it's in essence a bit of a bait and switch in that people, podcasting is quite common. They say, would you like to be a guest on my podcast? And it actually turns into a sales call because they're kind of promoting whatever they're working on. And the survey is kind of one of those in a way as well, in that if you can sort of get people to drop their guard a little bit, you can get them to answer honestly, and then you actually have inroads there. Now, not saying this is manipulative, but are there different approaches rather than going in the front door that can be utilized? Or do you tend to think that it's better just to be clear and upfront with your offer? Yeah. I mean, I, I, we are definitely not a proponent of any type of bait and switch, but when we are doing a survey approach, we ask them if we can ask them five questions, six questions, 10 questions, whatever the, the survey is, and if they have time to do that. And then at the very end, we will ask them if they seem like the right type of uh, product, you know, prospect that our client might want to speak to, we, we ask them, you know, would you be open to a follow-up call from this company? And it, that, that script can vary in a few different ways, but it's never a a bait and switch where we're like 
telling them we're going to do one thing for them and then do it do another it's always very o- open and, and and forthright that we're going to ask you a few questions the only thing at the end which i don't know you, you maybe you could call that a bait and switch i don't think it is um but derek tell me if you disagree no, no, no. And I, just I, i'm not saying the surveys a, necessarily are but they're you know i've seen that there's quite a lot in terms of people offering podcasts and things like that at the moment and it is this kind of disarming people giving them something and it's the sort of rule of reposcosity or whatever but giving them something and then you know they're more open so there's sort of a lot of psychological kind of support in doing this and it's not necessarily bad by giving them a podcast it, it can work so yeah it's just different approaches isn't it because i think everything always has to be re reinvented and reconsidered things kind of get a little bit stale, don't they? And I think people are always looking for that innovation in terms of new approaches. Yeah, um, I I think so. I think, though, you know, good sales will always be good sales tactics, and there's always bad, slimy sales tactics. And I think that even though a lot of people think that, quote-unquote, bait-and-switch or slimy sales tactics work, I really don't think that they do, uh, especially over long periods of time. I think sales is really about trying to build rapport with prospects, trying to empathize with prospects, trying to understand who products are, or the prospects are, and trying to help them solve their problems, and hopefully having a good positive outcome from it. But if there isn't a good an outcome that makes sense where that prospect is going to close, you always want to heart in the best of ways. And a lot of times, I can't tell you how many times we've had prospects who didn't necessarily go with sales roads, but eventually referred business to us or came back to us when they switched to a new job. And I think that always holding yourself in, in, in with integrity and selling in a way that you can be proud of is going to, over the long run, pay dividends for you versus the other way around. Yeah, Absolutely. And in terms of the SDR process, it's becoming quite technical, isn't it? And and maybe not, but you know, how much of a good SDR process is reliant on the sort of architecture of the process versus the capabilities of the person? Does that make sense? Like I'm seeing a lot of SDR yeah, processes now incorporating a ton, you know, a ton of tools, a ton of automation, a ton of really complex stuff. Or, you know, and then so how much is down to that sort of architecture versus the person driving it? So I actually take a little bit of a contrarian view on this. I think a lot of the architecture and tools that people throw at SDRs at the end of the day is more often counterproductive. I think SDRs sometimes have too many tools at their disposal. They can look these things up. They can create these cadences. And a lot of sales leaders feel like that, oh, if I give the, you know, put in this tool, then I'm going to be able to have everybody hit their quota. But what ends up happening is is the sales process becomes confusing. The SDRs have to learn all these tools, put in all this information, and they end up spending less time selling. So we take the opposite approach where we try to keep what is in front of our SDRs, super simple so that they can focus on what they do best, which is cold calling and prospecting into 
target accounts and target contacts within those accounts. So we try to, using technology, find the right, the best prospects, the best accounts, and we load those in for our SDRs. We don't feel like they need to do all this complicated research and finding these things and doing these tools. We build the cadences for them. You know, there's a lot of, you know, very uh, uh, cool tools uh, that can create you know, sales cadences and, and whatnot. But we found that a lot of times SDRs hide behind those cadences. They're spending all this time creating the cadences so that they can automate what they're doing. We think that that should be done from a more of a centralized standpoint. We build some of those cadences. The, the, te- the SDRs can inform the cadences, but we want what they do to really be engaging with prospects, focusing on that um, type of skill set. And that's where we've generated a lot of success. So we try to keep the tools in front of the SDRs simple so they can really sell. Got it. Yeah, it's interesting, isn't it? And I think often you you can hide behind these processes and tools and you just need to get out there and and put in the reps and rinse and repeat sort of thing. Can you give us good insights into, you know, if you're running an SDR team, what is good productivity like what would you expect in terms of phone calls in a day also phone calls is very different to connections yeah like how many people actually pick up these days are you phoning mobile phones versus you know landlines what are your thoughts on a good productivity yeah so we look for at least 120 dials per day per SDR for a full-time SDR. It can be a little bit above that. Uh, If it gets a a little bit below that, we feel like there's either not doing what they need to do or they're spending too much time researching and, and, and thinking through things. You can also use technology. There's parallel dialers and tools like Aurum that can allow you to dial faster and dial multiple numbers. And that does have its place. We don't love it. We found our best SDRs because there's that little, you know, delay in between. It also burns lists a little bit faster that we haven't seen as much of an increase in productivity. But that is a tool that people can look at, especially if they have a large TAM or they have SDRs who aren't cold calling all day and they need to, to bump up their productivity. But I would say at least 120 dials a day, it is hard to get people on the phone. You have to have enough raw material to be able to generate success for the, the program. And raw material is those dials. As far as dials per what we call right party contact, that's a connection with somebody who is uh, part of our target list, it varies so significantly by mainly title, right? So C-level folks at larger organizations, it can take over 100 dials or more sometimes to get them on the phone. If you're calling into smaller companies, lower level people, it can take 10 dials to get them on the phone. So we have a lot of those metrics based upon both industry titles. HR is harder to get on the phone than sales, right? Salespeople pick up their phone or they should, right? And so those metrics really do vary. And that's part of what we do when we create our success analysis, when we create our eye analysis is we take a look and we benchmark who are the people you're looking to get on the appointments with. And then we can customize metrics based upon how Um, many dials on average it takes to get those people on the phone. And then based upon the value prop, and this is harder to estimate, but we work with our clients to figure it out, what is a good convergence rate? And we shoot for about 17% as an average conversion rate for calls. So, you know, you're talking about one every six, six calls at a minimum that you're wanting to convert into appointment. Our best performers, we're looking for them to do 33%. So that's one every three calls that converts into an appointment. Wow. 
that's really impressive. Yeah. Yeah, thank you. And and that's both the the quality of the SDR, but also the tar- going back to the targeting of the list. You need to give SDRs a fighting chance. You got to get them people who are the right type of fit, the right type of persona, and that can be done with really good list targeting. And are you typically phoning like landline their work number, oh, right, or was, are sorry. you now you're now dialing mobiles? Yeah, so we try to dial mobiles. We do screen it versus the do not call list, you know, in the US. That's uh, both an important thing for, um, you know, there's obviously regulations around that, but also it's a signal. It's a signal that somebody doesn't want to be called on their cell phone, right? So we do, but for folks who are not on the do not call list, we sell is so much, is great, is the best place to, to reach people. Second is direct dial. So that's the, the phone line that goes direct to them. And we really try to stay away from just a company directory. It's just much less productive. Got it. Yeah. And scripting, do you get in there? You write scripts. I, I imagine there's quite an art to a good script. Yeah. Is it a fixed script that you find works better or kind of a loose bullet script? So what we do is we will... Uh, it is definitely an art form. It's something that we work really hard on out of the gate, but then we refine over time. And we will create a script, but we do not tell our SDRs they have to stick to this verbatim. So we have usually an opening, a good hook that, that encapsulates some of the value that we think could be benefiting. We, we look at every prospect as having a hypothesis of need, what potentially might be their need, right? And we try to come up with something that 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 will appeal to that potential need. And then we'll usually script out a, a, a probing question that will open the conversation. So we do script it out, but we really want people to call and use their own intonation, the words that make sense for them. If they want to switch it up a little bit, that that is fine. But we want to give them a good guideline for the messaging that we think will resonate most effectively. Got it. And in terms of getting people interested, you know, you have now done an almost impossible thing. You've found a needle in a haystack, you've converted them so that they are interested. But then I still find that leads or prospects, they're still fundamentally a little bit apathetic in terms of they're busy. You know, they have their existing schedule and they kind of forget things because this wasn't always a priority of theirs. So how do you ensure that they then turn up to the the following call, the consultation call? And what sort of success do you see with that? And just to sort of couch this in, in our own background, you know, we generate about 2,000 inbound outsourcing inquiries per month, which is highly valuable inquiries. We, within the funnel, we say, would you like to talk to a consultant right now? And, you know, whatever X percentage opt-in, to those people that then opt in to say, I want to speak to someone right now, only 50% actually turn up. <laughs> like, it's quite amazing. And then we also say, instead, would you like to book a call uh, to speak with our expert? And this is really just a, a qualifying call. And, you know, X percent then book that appointment, but only about 50% of them turn up to that. And then we actually book the phone calls with our outsourcing partners and, you know, again, approximately sort of about 30, 40% of those people turn up to that. So, you know, it's 
you, as you see within any funnel, you've got a lot of attrition, which is to be accepted. You know, it, it's you can't not have attrition, but it just it becomes quite painful when you work so hard at the top of the funnel just to see sort of people fall out. So, what are your sort of show up rates like, and do you find any way that you can? Um, improve those by getting the SDRs to be more enthusiastic and really sort of selling the benefits of turning up to the next call, for example? Yeah, it's a great question. So it is something that we've worked really hard on. We have some pretty tight processes around and we shoot for 80% or better. If we dip below 80%, we really take a look and and try to figure out what what's going on here. And so here's a few different principles that we look at. One is, and you touched on it, is if a prospect doesn't show up, there's a, a decent chance that they didn't see the value in showing up, right? There's sometimes things come up legitimately, right? The, the, they just couldn't show up. But if no-show rates are too high, not enough value was typically conveyed during that initial call. Because if something's really important to somebody and they think there could be value, they're more likely to show up. So we always listen to the calls and try to make sure that the SDR conveyed the right type of value, asked the right type of question so that that prospect has a reason to show up. But then there's also a lot of mechanics um, because people do get busy, people do forget. So I'll run through a few of those. I mean, first, we try when we can to send that invite out when we still have them on the phone and get them to accept it on the phone. Because we found that when somebody actually accepts the appointment, they're much more likely to show up for the appointment. So we try, we've created some processes around that so that we can optimize for an acceptance rate. We also have an email that goes out right after we book the appointment that highlights some of the things and reasons why we book the appointment and value that we think they're going to get. And like maybe even a mini agenda based upon our, you know what our, our, our client is comfortable with so that they know what the expectations uh, are. For, for that appointment. We also then do a follow-up email and call um, the day before to make sure we remind them of the appointment and more importantly, remind them why they took the appointment. Again, always building value. And then one thing we institute sometimes if we're seeing cold call uh, or the show rates dip down is SMS or, or, or text message. Obviously, we need to get their permission first, but sometimes that's helpful. You know, people are sometimes going around and, and, and aren't at their desk. And so shooting them a little text message an hour before or a half hour before just to confirm that that time still works for them has been successful for us as well. Yeah, fascinating, isn't it? And I think the critical thing is, because we're dealing with this with our own SDRs at the moment, is... You know, you can't just tell people they've got to turn up to this appointment because that's what the process says. You actually have to get them seeing the value in it and get them excited about it. Yeah. Otherwise, you know, you're never going to force anyone to do anything. They might even say, yes, I'll turn up. And as soon as they hang up the phone, it's just completely out of their consciousness. Yeah. You've got to build that excitement. And, and I suppose that's the nuance, isn't it, of having great teams and great training is it's the nuance of how do you really sell something as opposed to just kind of getting people to follow a process. Totally. Uh, absolutely. And, and yeah, you can't, you, it can't be about the SDR and them wanting to get the commission. It's got to be about the prospect and what we can solve for them. And when you change that mindset around, 
amazingly, the salespeople will start getting more commission because they're thinking about it through their prospect size, not through their eyes. Mm. Fascinating. So we usually end on a uh, future and automation and AI note. It seems to be pretty prevalent in our industry. And of course, sales is no different. I actually very frequently now get pitched on AI automation because of course, we all know how effective chat GPT is when you're texting and chatting. Now, a lot of people are connecting to that communication capability to voice. Now, for my liking, the voice is still a little bit robotic. It has to be 100% human sounding. But as soon as that does, I think it's going to be pretty powerful if you can get you know, a highly conversational bot to talk to people and sort of loosely follow like the most perfect script in the world. And I believe, you know, it, it's not there yet, but will it be there in six months? Will it take nine months or 12 months? But that could become, you know, that's almost nuclear if that happens, because you could have one bot dialing literally 10 million people at one time. Now, it might be a little bit clunky. The conversions might be low, but if they're literally making 10 million dials at once, it's, it's pretty, pretty kind of potent. What are you seeing in the market and what are your thoughts on AI automation more broadly. Yeah, I think that it's obviously something that everyone has to think about, especially in our industry, but I think all industries. And where is this going? And what is it going to replace? And what is it not going to replace? And I think that there's a few interesting things about this. I think, and I have no doubt, that the technology will get there where it is going to sound seamless and you're not going to know the difference between a human and an AI. What will be interesting from an outbound perspective is what you just described, you know, Derek, is robo-dialing. And there's regulations around it, which will be interesting to see how people maneuver or if they can't even maneuver because even with the best technology, I can't imagine that regulators are going to want to reduce the regulations around robo-dialing, which is you know technically illegal. And I think that that's going to be a, a barrier for good actors in this space, not necessarily for fo- you know folks who, who don't care. <laughs> um, and so I think we could see an influx of this type of calls. But I think the regulation is going to be a, an interesting thing from an outbound dialing perspective, even when, and it will we'll get there, that the experience will be somewhat seamless. Now, let's take the regulation aside, because I think the more interesting part is what is the role of salespeople in a world of AI? And I think what we'll see is that with more complicated higher-end sales, as well as to certain types of personas, the human component of sales might still be pertinent in the future. Because I still think that the best selling, as I alluded to a little bit in the middle of this podcast, is you know a very human and consultative type of sales approach where you build rapport with prospects, where you build trust with prospects. And I'm hard-pressed to see the whole population trusting AI in a way that they have been able to trust good salespeople, people that they've trusted and, 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 and known for long periods of time who are in their network. And I think that 
salespeople are really going to have to lean into the humanity of the sales process and their network and creating relationships with people and doing things that AI just by definition can't do. Because as we all have seen with ChatGPT is just an unbelievable technology that when we point it in a certain direction, it is going to be able to do a lot of things much better than a human can do. So we've got to find those things that AI can't do and really double down on them. Yeah, it's fascinating, isn't it? It's a fascinating future because it's just the, you know, if there's just a broader increase in noise, people completely shut off, don't they? And then there's going to be technology to block any sales calls and people will just somehow resist if there's an onslaught of kind of permanent outreach. But it is interesting what you say, you know, like it, Selling is best done if you're not actually selling and if you are just fundamentally helping people and providing value and helping them solve their needs. And ultimately, it's it's not selling. But the nuance of selling is so incredible, isn't it? You know, and people can study their entire lives. The difficulty, I think, is, you know, and I'm an introvert and I have founded my business, so I started doing the sales for my business, as most founders do do. And you get a sort of proficiency, but the sales needs to expand. You know, you need to build teams and you then need to bring in the juniors that haven't sort of thought about it so deeply. And they're probably following a script in a process and don't really care so much and just want to go and hang out with their friends. And that's where the, that's where the art and science connects, isn't it? It's, it's how do you scale this thing up beyond sort of that friendly conversation between the founder and someone who's interested and scale it up whilst maintaining efficiencies, cost efficiencies, and results. It's a fascinating kind of industry, isn't it? Yeah, no, I, I agree. And it will be ever more fascinating over the next um, few years as we figure out how to both harness AI to make us better salespeople and also figure out what is in our wheelhouse versus the AI's wheelhouse. Yeah, yeah. And it's, it's all going to happen. It's going to happen fast, I think, isn't it? So I agree. thank you so much. It really has been very insightful. And this is a topic dear to my heart and something I'm always trying to master. So David, thank you and really insightful. As always, if anyone wants to learn more about Sales Roads, how can they find more about you and connect? Yeah, so you can just go to our website in salesroads.com or I'm very active on LinkedIn. So please look me up, David Krieger, uh, on LinkedIn and DM me. I'm happy to answer any questions you have. Great to be uh, connected with you through, through LinkedIn. That was David Krieger of SalesRoads. As always, if you want any of the show notes, go to outsourceaccelerator.com slash podcast. And if you want to reach out to us, just email us at ask at outsourceaccelerator.com. See you next time.